0: We are, John chapter 1 and verse, um, we're going to be in verse 35, but we are in the middle of, we're at really the beginning of taking a good look at, a fresh look at Jesus by way of John, the gospel of John. John has a unique way of looking at Jesus. Um, One cool thing about the gospel of John, no extra charge for this, um, uh, is that John presupposes. There's, there's four Gospels in the New Testament. Three of them kind of tell the story of Jesus on kind of the same timeline, the same chronology, a lot of the same stories. That's what we call the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John is kind of his own dude. He, he tells a lot of stories that other Gospel writers don't tell, and John seems to presuppose knowledge of the other Gospels, that John is kind of intentionally a supplement To the other traditions about Jesus, and as he records this as a a supplement, he actually notes that it's not an exhaustive account of Jesus, that you could, and and he actually goes so far as to say in 20, in in chapter 20, you don't have to turn there, but at the end of the book, he says, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. And so, sometimes we want this exhaustive, you know, uh, encyclopedic sense of what Jesus is, but not, no one gospel contains all the stuff that Jesus said. Actually, at the end, um, John says something to the extent of, you know, if everything that Jesus did was written down, I don't think there'd be enough books in the world to, to hold it all at the very end of his gospel. So John notably, knowingly, doesn't say everything about Jesus. But what he does say, after he says he he did many other things uh, that are not written in this book, but this is what he says. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and believing you may have life in his name. And one of the things that I'm just so pumped about as we come to the Gospel of John, we're going to be looking at John um, through this this fall and into the spring, is just this idea that we are coming, we are coming to a text that John has written because he wants us to have life. And we come to it and we come expectant that the God, the God who has sent his son Jesus, wants to give us life and life to the full. And so when we come, as we come, and as, as I'm spending the week preparing, and as we come, there's just this expectancy that God is going to give us something that we do not yet have, that we have not experienced fully. Amen to that? All right, that's good. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I'm going to go, and I'm going to be encouraged by this this morning. So, um, so yeah, here we are. So this, this idea that in John 135, so what we want to do today is we want to note That in this passage, as we look at it, as Jim read for us this morning, that there's something unique about Jesus, these two things, that when Jesus encounters someone, he's able to uniquely read them in a way that other people cannot, that Jesus Jesus seems to have some special knowledge about those who encounter him. And at the same time, we need to note that Jesus has that special knowledge because Jesus has a special place. He has a special thing that he is going to do that no other can do. And in this passage, we're going to walk through it. We're going to look at the way Jesus encounters people and then note the way that Jesus is set to be, be and do something that no other has been able to do in human history. So John 1, verse 35, let's take a look. We're going to read through this and make some observations along the way. So John 1, 35, as Jim read, the next day again John was standing, John the Baptist that is, was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus and walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. Do you ever, any, any art fans in here? You're like, no, no art fans. Look, there's something beautiful about art, whether it's medieval or Renaissance era art. Whenever John the Baptist is depicted in Renaissance or medieval art, what is he doing? He's always pointing. I dare you to find a a painting of John the Baptist where he's not pointing. This is what John the Baptist comes to do. We talked about it last week. John the Baptist is a pointer, right? Right? that I am not the Christ. I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet, but there's one coming after me. I'm not even worthy to take his shoes off like a slave. I'm just the voice. I'm the voice standing in the shadows in the wilderness crying out. So John is saying, behold the Lamb of God. And John had followers. And as they looked, as they looked at Jesus as he walked by, and in one two disciples heard him say this. Two disciples heard him say this, and they stopped following John and started following Jesus. And we find out later, in, look at verse 40, it says, one of the two who heard John speak and follow Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. We'll come back to Andrew in just a second. But the other disciple, and here's a little little geek out here for you, the other disciple is not named, and it introduces a character in the gospel that is going to show up over and over again, and it is the unnamed disciple, the disciple who has no name. I know isn't it interesting like it's a character it's actually a character in the gospel there are times where the disciple will simply be conspicuously present but unnamed and there will be other times where the disciple will be there and the only way he will be known is he will be called the disciple who Jesus loved and that character most scholars think or tra- I should say tradition has it most scholars are like ah we can't know but the tradition is that that person is John, and so John is including himself. I, I suppose in kind of though we, we've got John the Baptist as a pointer, and then we have John the gospel writer, who's also a pointer, who's like, I'm going to stand in the shadows. You're not really going to know my name, but at the end, at the end, it talks about the disciple whom Jesus loved is the one who, rec- who, who testified to all these things, and so we have our first presence of the gospel writer John as one of the followers of John the Baptist originally, but as John points the Lamb of God, that he and Andrew say, we're going to follow Jesus. So we have the disciple whom Jesus loved, the unnamed disciple, here in the text for the first time. So verse 40, one of the two who, uh, uh, sorry, uh, but the other, so we talked about the unnamed disciple, One thirty-eight. Jesus turned and saw them, so they, they're following John the Baptist, and then he says the Lamb of God, they start following Jesus. So just imagine the scene, like Jesus is, is, is kind of doing his thing, and these two guys are just kind of following him around. Like, and Jesus, Jesus kind of looks back, is like, Hey guys, what's going on? And he actually says to them, if you if you look, if you follow along, in um uh in one, where are we at? 138. Thank you for those who are keeping track better than I am. Jesus turned and saw them following him, and they said, and he said, "What are you seeking?" Maybe a better way to translate that: "What are you looking for?" Which is a great way, and this gives us a little sense of the way John is telling his story. Because on the on the first on on just kind of a surface level, you have this question, which is a pretty simple question. Like he turns around, and he's like, "What are you guys looking for?" Like they're they're like, "Well, we're looking. Where are you staying?" Like this very surface conversation, but. On the other hand, John isn't encouraging his reader to ask this question of themselves, like, why are you reading this book? Like, what are you looking for? Like, what are you looking for? Not just on a surface level, but what are you looking for? And John has this great way of not only kind of walking on the surface and telling the story, but also of asking these secondary level questions like, hey, what are you looking for? But also, like, guys, what are you really looking for? And they follow up with a, with, a, with, a, with kind of a surface level thing like, hey, Jesus, we just want to know where you're staying. Like, where are you staying? And so it says in verse 39, he says, um, come and you'll see. Which again, on the surface, come and see where I'm going to stay. But there's also, the, 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 what Jesus says, come and see is the invitation of the gospel. Jesus says to them, hey, what, do you guys do? what are you guys looking for? They're like, well, where are you staying? And he's like, hey, it's time for you to come and to see. It's not the last time we'll hear this in the gospel. It's not even the last time we'll hear this in this passage. But Jesus' presence is inviting people to come and take a good look. Verse 39, so they came and they saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. The 10th hour is probably about 4 p.m., so they're following him around all day. Jesus finally is like, hey, what are you guys doing? What are you looking for? And they say, where are you staying? So about 4 p.m., they go to where he's staying, and it records that they're with him basically the rest of the afternoon and the evening. Now, we don't know what happens during that time, but we do know what happens after that. And that is, Andrew is like, we have found the Messiah. I don't, know, I don't know what that like five-hour conversation with Jesus was like, but whatever it was, like Andrew's like, I gotta find my brother, I gotta find other people. The cool thing, here, let's keep going because we, we gotta stay on this. Um, in, verse, uh, in verse 41, one of the two who heard John speak and follow Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And it says, he first went and found, or he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we found the Messiah. That, that's kind of a, I, sorry, that's not the greatest translation. Probably the best way to translate that is the first thing he did was he went and found his brother, Simon. And he said, we have found the Messiah. I don't know what that interaction was like with Andrew and John, but Andrew was like, I gotta, I gotta tell my brother about this. I gotta tell my brother about this. You know, one of the cool things about Andrew in the Gospel of John, we don't hear a lot about Andrew in the other Gospels, but we do hear about Andrew in the Gospel of John. Um, the cool thing about Andrew is um, Every time we see Andrew in the gospel, he's bringing someone to Jesus. Every time we see Andrew in the gospel, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. I I think, I don't, again, this is just Andrew, we, we see a little bit about him, but when Jesus has this huge crowd around him, and they're out in the middle of nowhere, and Jesus is like, hey, we need to find food for all these people and somebody says, look, that's going to cost like a boatload of money, Jesus. We don't have that much money. Andrew's like, hey, Jesus, I, I need to introduce you to this little kid. He's got, he's got five loaves and two fish. Like, Andrew finds the kid with the lunch. And he's like, hey, kid, you need to come meet Jesus. And because of that, Jesus does, he multiplies the loaves. You guys know the story. He multiplies the loaves and the fish. But Andrew's the guy. Andrew's the bridge. Andrew's the connector. I love in chapter 12, in chapter 12, Jesus has been doing this ministry. He's in Jerusalem, and there are these these Gentile Greeks that want to meet Jesus. And so who do they find? Andrew. And Andrew's like, hey, Jesus, there's these Greeks, these Gentile Greeks, and they want to meet you. And it's the turning point in the gospel. At this point, Jesus says, all the way in the gospel, he's like, my hour's not yet come. My hour's not yet come. My hour's not yet come. But when Andrew, it's actually Andrew and Philip, but when Andrew brings these Gentiles to him, Jesus is like, my hour has come. It's the turning point. And it's Andrew. Andrew's the guy. I love Andrew. Andrew's the guy who's like, people need to meet Jesus. And I'm going to bring them. And I'm going to bring them. I wish we had more stories about Andrew. It would be so awesome. I can only imagine what Andrew was like. I mean, he's finding these people and bringing them to Jesus. So the first thing he does is he finds his brother, Simon. And he says, look, we have found the Messiah and of course, we talked about this idea of Messiah means anointed one, which translated into Greek means is Christos. And so the anointed one, when you see Christ, when you see the word Christ in your text, you can translate that as the anointed one or the Messiah. Okay? So that's what that, that's what that means. Uh, let's see. So Andrew brings Peter to Jesus. And Jesus then, we find, so so far Jesus has had this interaction with Andrew and John, the unnamed disciple, and they come out of this like, (laughs) we found the Messiah. We don't know what they said, but it changed their lives. And so Jesus then finds Peter, and then he has an interaction with Peter. Look at 142. So he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looks at Peter, Simon. He says, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Kepha, or Cephas, however you translate that, which means Peter. And I suppose one of the things that we find out is that with Andrew and John, Jesus says, what are you looking for? And I think this is going to be, this is one of the major points of this sermon is that Jesus is going to encounter people and it's not always going to be the same thing. It's not everybody comes to faith the exact same way and so Jesus Actually, inter- engages with them in different ways. For some, he's like, "What are you looking for?" With Peter, he's like, "Hey, your name is Simon." Actually, the name Simon is the name Shimon. Um, it's it's the uh, uh, it's the second son of Jacob. You've got Reuben, and then you've got Simeon, Shimon, who's the second son of Jacob. Which means that it's a very common name in the New Testament. Some people, I. I have always heard that the name Simon means shifting sand. Has anybody ever heard that before? Nobody? Okay, then forget I said it because I can't find it anywhere. I, I, I've been, seriously, I'm like, I've always heard that the, the, the contrast is like from shifting sand to rock. Like, but that's, I don't, that's not what it is. I think what it is is he's com- it's a common name. As a matter of fact, in the New Testament, there are so many Simons, they have to qualify them all. There's Simon the leper. There's Simon the zealot. There's Simon the tanner. There's Simon uh, the Pharisee, there's Simon uh, son of, uh, sorry, uh, uh, the father of uh, Judas Iscariot is named Simon, Um, there's Simon the Magician, there's Simon of Cyrene. Anyway, there's lots of Simons, a lot of Shimon's out there, okay? But Jesus says, look, I know you're named, I know you're named Shimon, which is a good, good name, everybody, right? Right? Like, it's like, if you were to hear that, you're like, he's such a Jew- good Jewish boy, right? Like, that's, <laughs> like, his mother would be proud, like, he's such a good boy. Like, Jew- that's a great Jewish name, but he says, look, what I want to call you, what you're going to be called, is you're going to be called Rock. Kepha, not the Rock, you know, the, but, you're gonna, <laughs> or Rocky, but that's, the, that's kind of the idea, that you are going to be called Rock. The word in Aramaic for rock is the word Kepha, which is what John says. When you translate that into Greek, that's the name Petros, means rock. I have a Scottish name, my name is Craig, and it means rock. Yeah, I know. That's, um, and then when I was teaching at Biola, there was another hill, Peter Hill. We both had the name Rock Hill, Peter Hill. Craig Hill. Anyway, that's that's great. My brother's name Brian. It means high hill, which is you know, no pun intended. Anyway, all that to say, um, very ge- geologically based names in the Hill family. Um, but you will be called Simon. You are named Simon, but you will be called Rock. Now, of course, in the Gospels, if you've read the Gospels, you know Peter is anything but a rock. Peter is, Peter's like unreliable. He's moody. He kind of flies off the handle. He's impulsive. He's volatile. But in this first encounter, and in this first encounter, what we see Jesus doing is he's like, hey, your name's Simon, but I'm going to rename you something that you are going to become. A rock. And by the time... The book of Acts rolls around because the last time we see Peter, he's denying Jesus. At the end of this book, at the end of John, Peter is being reinstated by Jesus. Peter, do you love me? You know I love you. Even after I betrayed you, I still love you. And Jesus reinstates him. Then feed my sheep. And by the time the book of Acts rolls around, what do we see Peter doing? He's leading the believers. He's feeding the sheep. And he's become steady and rock-like because he has encountered Jesus. Jesus renamed him. He encounters him and he renames him. I don't know, look, whether or not when you encounter Jesus, and this is one of the questions that we have to ask, is like, when I encounter Jesus, how is Jesus How is Jesus meeting me? Maybe Jesus has met you with just that question, like, what are you looking for? Or maybe Jesus is meeting you and he's saying, look, I'm going to give you another name. I'm going to give you another name of what you are not yet, but you are going to become. And that's what he does for Peter. And it's transformative for Peter. Look at 143. So we've got the interaction with Andrew and John, the unnamed disciple, and then Andrew tells his brother Peter, and then in 143, it says, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip, and he said to him, follow me. Now, this is, we don't hear a lot about Philip. As a matter of fact, in the other Gospels, we don't hear anything about Philip. He's just named among the other disciples. This is actually, the Gospel of John is the one place where we actually hear about Philip a couple of times. There's actually a tradition in the church that Philip and John end up up in Turkey, after the destruction of the temple, that they go up to, the, to Turkey, like Ephesus, Colossae, up in that area, and actually Philip is martyred in a city near Colossae, near Laodicea, and there's actually a church built on the site. Um, but the tradition has it that they both minister together, and that's probably one of the reasons why John has information about him later in life and tells some information about him in the Gospels that we don't have in the other Synoptic Gospels. So Philip is given the traditional call that most of the other disciples are given in the other gospels, which is follow me. Now that is a that's a true calling. That's not just like, hey, what are you guys looking for? That's not, well, you're Peter and I'm gonna name you the rock. This is this is just a straight call follow me. And this is the call to discipleship. Disciples are learners, and they would always be behind Jesus. They would follow in his steps. They would follow in the steps of the rabbi. They would, they would learn what the rabbi thought, and they would start to think like the rabbi. They would start to act like the rabbi. They would start to talk like the rabbi. That's what discipleship is. And when, when you sign up to follow Jesus, what you're signing up to to do is is to actually learn about Jesus, learn about his sensibilities, learn about the way he interacts with other people, and begin to mirror that, to grow and becoming more Christ-like. And so that's the call to, uh, to Philip. Follow me. It's the fundamental posture of a disciple, to be behind Jesus, to take your cues from Jesus, to learn from Jesus, Then to act and embrace the sensibilities about Jesus. And this is what we actually see Philip doing almost immediately. Look at 145. So what Philip does, like Andrew, Andrew's like, I I gotta find my brother, and Philip's like, I gotta find my friend Nathaniel. We have our our son is named Nate, but his given name is Nathaniel. It actually follows the spelling of the Greek here, Nathaniel. And so as I was preparing this message, I'm like. This is Nathaniel, this is my son, right? This is my na- the namesake of my son. Um, and um, in everyone else's encounter with Jesus up to this point, I think we can understand how it might be like life-changing, life-transforming, that like, he, uh, he asks. Andrew and John, like, what are you looking for? He has a, like a five-hour conversation with them. It's life-transforming for them. You can imagine what a five-hour conversation with Jesus would be like. like it could be hard, but it would be really awesome. And then Peter, he actually gets renamed by Jesus. You can understand how he, re, being renamed by Jesus can actually, like, if somebody gives you a nickname, and has transformative power to you, right? And I think we can understand how that takes place. Or, or even the stark call, like, follow me. Like, what, what if somebody came up to you and was like, follow me. And it had so much weight and authority, like, how that could be life transforming. Nathaniel's a little different. Like, Nathaniel is this kind of quirky, weird story that we don't totally understand. So in 45, it says, Philip found Nathaniel and said, We have found him of whom Mo- uh, Moses in the law, and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. So Philip gives this historical reference. He's like, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph, and Nathanael says, you lost me at Nazareth. Philip then, or Nathanael gives this great line, this great line, can anything good come out of Nazareth? What a great skeptical line. I think today we love that line, right? We love this idea. Like we all know of a place we all know of a place, like for me for a long time it was Bakersfield, right? Can anything good come out of, ba- I'm just kidding, I love Bakersfield. Those in Bakersfield love you. The Bakersfield campus is alive and well for Taft Avenue Community Church. Um, but Nazareth, Nazareth is a, small, is a small, when I say small, it was a small town. It's a bigger town today because it, the tradition is Jesus is born there or that he grows up there. Um, but this small town in Galilee, and the idea is this, if Los Angeles is Jerusalem, okay, Bakersfield is the Galilee region, but Nazareth is not even Bakersfield. Nazareth is like Ducor, and you're like, what's Ducor? And I say, exactly, or like McFarland, okay, or or, uh, or maybe another. Anyway, pick pick a Minkler. You're, again, that's Nazareth. Like Nazareth is not mentioned in histor- in any historical literature before the Gospels. Let me say this: It's a no name town. It's not even mentioned anywhere. Cana is mentioned, that's in Galilee, and that's where Nathanael's from. Cana's like, well, Cana is at least mentioned, Cana's even a small town outside of Galilee. Like the big ones are around the lake, but this is outside a little bit away, and he says, Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? And what does Philip say? Why don't you come and see? Who is the last person who said, why don't you come and see? The last person to say that was Jesus. Has Philip begun to follow Jesus? Has Philip become to be like Jesus? Philip is now echoing the words of Jesus. Hey, why don't you come and see? And I love love Philip on this because, look, the call call of evangelism is, look, you you might have great theology or you might not know anything about the Bible or theology. Look, the call of evangelism is is simply to say this, why don't you come and see why don't you just read the Gospel of John and see for yourself? Come, come and see. I think sometimes we, we think we're inviting people to church, and certainly we can invite people to church, and maybe you're here because somebody drugged you here and you're here against your will, and God bless you. Um, but maybe you come, but the, the, we, we don't come to church to see church. We come because we expect that God's word will be preached and we can invite somebody to come and see Jesus, come and meet Jesus. And I love Philip. Philip's like, well, look, Nathaniel, I don't know, I don't know what you think about Nazareth, or Nazarenes, or whatever. But why don't you just come and see? I love his cynicism. I lo- I- cynicism is a special language, right? Right? Like, I don't know how many people out there resonate with a good cynical perspective, okay, on lots of things. Maybe you do. If you do. I feel a kin- kinship with you, okay? Cynicism, kind of the language of our culture today, and, and Nathaniel's right there. <laughs> really, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And then the interaction with Jesus and Nathaniel is noteworthy. Look at 147. Jesus sees Nathaniel coming toward him, and he said, Behold, an Israelite, indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And if you're the reader, you're like, no, duh! Like this guy has no filter. He just said exactly what's on his mind. Like Nazareth, who can anything good come out of Nazareth? You'd even imagine, like, if Jesus was an earshot of that, that'd be awesome. And he's like, he's like, hey, an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. Some people think that it's about uh, Nathaniel's uh, his virtue. That he, he isn't deceptive, which I think is probably true, but he's just as the guy who says what's on his mind. You're always going to know what he thinks. And so Nathaniel says um, to Jesus, hey Jesus, how do you know me? And Jesus said, well, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, this is where most commentaries spend about three pages talking about what the heck's going on with the fig tree. Why Why the fig tree? And some people argue that the fig tree is in the Old Testament, I mean, it, they don't argue it, it's, it's true. In the Old Testament, the fig tree is a symbol of prosperity. It's a symbol also of home, that a home is where you plant your fig tree and that it grows up, that fig trees provide shade, they have big leaves when Adam and Eve they have big sticky leaves, so when Adam and Eve were trying, you know, after they sinned, they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves. Anyway, I, that's a great visual. Thank you for laughing. Um, but um, why the fig tree? And, and some people in rabbinical tradition, perhaps, there are a couple places in rabbinical tradition that um, the shade of the fig tree offered a place to sit and reflect, or to read, or to study. But we just got back from Israel, and look, any tree provides shade, in Israel and we would like fig trees or not like you just find one that you can get some shade under so whether or not figs or not I I don't think that's the point I don't think the point is that there's some special thing about the fig tree and the shade of the fig tree and maybe he was doing this or that that. The, the point is that there's two people who know what was going on under the fig tree Nathaniel and Jesus and nobody else and sometimes, when Jesus calls someone, He finds them at a moment that they need to be found. I think for me, you know, I, I in the baptism class we get to tell our stories, and um, I, you know, my story is I I um, grew up Roman Catholic, was going through confirmation classes, and heard the gospel at a Christian rock concert, and. Um, and felt like that was, that was a place where Jesus met me. And in my, in my life of faith, there have been other times along the way where I feel like Jesus particularly met me in a particular way. I think when I was 16 years old up at Hume Lake, I, m- I remember just feeling a call, a, an urge, that like I, I need, God has plans for me and I need to open myself up to p- his plans for me, for my life, a life of ministry or a life of study, whatever that is. There have been other times, I remember one time I was in seminary and um, I was taking Hebrew and uh, um, I was, you know, I was not doing very well to be quite honest Um, and I remember because I was taking a final, it was a take-home final in Hebrew and um, the final was to translate Exodus 3, 1 through 5 with no helps, like it was just Hebrew and I remember this because it was, it was during the final four, and um, Kelly and I were engaged. We were house-sitting. She was in the other room watching the finals of NCAA basketball championship, and I was in the living room. We, she was house-sitting, and I was in the living room failing my Hebrew exam. And I remember, I mean, I'm just, I remember, <laughs> anyway, I, I remember translating um, the word mead as river. It means wilderness. That, anyway, that, I totally remember that. But I remember being in that living room, and I remember I'm, I'm failing. I gotta see, I gotta see. Got but I remember feeling like, you guys have been in exams where you're like, I feel like I'm failing. And I felt like I was failing big time. And I just, I kind of pushed everything away at a, at a point, and I was just so frustrated. And it was at that point that I felt like God was bringing something to mind. He was recalling a memory, and that memory was when I was 14 years old and I came to faith and I was reading the Bible and I was just taking it in like a sponge. And I remember thinking, one day I want to read this in the original languages. And God was like, God was saying, You are doing exactly what I need you to do. Exactly what I want you to do. You need to fail this Hebrew exam. I'm like, but Lord, you know, like, but he was like, no, this is exactly where you need to be. And it was almost like God was saying, hey, I saw you when you were taking that Hebrew exam. Who knows, who knows the story? that I know that story, and God knows that, and now you guys know that story. But he saw me. I think one other time, one other time. Because I, I want you to think about this. Like, where is a place where you need Jesus to see you? When I finished my Ph.D. and transitioned out of the other church I was working at, I um, I was piecing together other things. I was teaching at Biola, I was teaching at Fuller, but it wasn't enough to keep everything together. And The, the motto is, in a time of transition, stay productive, right? Whenever, if you're in a time of transition, just stay productive, whatever it is. So just find something to do, find some work. And I found this work, one of my friends said, hey, I've been doing this thing, and, um, and it, was, it was this idea, you go into retail stores and you scan end caps. You scan that, the end of aisles, um, and it's just to make sure that, that um, displays, you scan displays and stuff like that. Here I am, two master's degrees and a PhD, and I've got this thing. And every time you scan a a barcode, it goes, ding. So here I am, ding, 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 ding. And on this one occasion, I was in the CVS. It was in the CVS um, in in Costa Mesa. And, And I was right by the pharmacy line where people are lined up to get their prescriptions, and I'm just, I'm going at it, ding. And this guy, and I, no joke, like no teeth, total meth head, total meth, I, oh, I, I mean, I guess if you imagine what a meth head might look like, that was the guy. And he walks by me and he looks down at me because I'm down here doing this, ding, ding, and he looks down at me and he's like, "And I'd hate to have that job. <laughs> and it was, it, was a, it was a very difficult season. It was a very difficult season in my life. And there was one day, there was one day where I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm in the warm beverage aisle in Ralph's, and I'm ding, ding, and I get this, I, in my head, and I don't, it's not, it wasn't a voice, it was just an impression, it was words, and I felt like it was God saying, it's going to be okay. And I don't know if you've ever, like, me saying those words doesn't carry the weight, but when God speaks, it carries a weight to it. Maybe you've experienced that before. Like, words from any other person would just fly right over your head, but when God speaks, it, it has weight, it lands on you. And it landed on me. And I'm like, I have, I'm like leaning on, a, on like cases of 7-Up and Dr. Pepper, and tears are just coming down my face. Because I wasn't where I wanted to be, I wasn't anywhere where I wanted to be, and I've got this thing, and it just dings all day. What am I doing? And God just says, no, I saw you on the warm beverage aisle. It sounds so stupid, right? But is it any different than the fig tree? Jesus calls Nathaniel, and he just says, hey. Nathaniel's like, how do you know me? He's all, I saw you under the fig tree. And Nathaniel's like, "You are the Messiah, the King, the King of Israel, the Son of God." Like he just—he gives every title to Jesus. And this chapter is just full of titles of Jesus. But but Nathaniel just packs it in. He's so, whatever that was. It was transformative. It wasn't a five-hour conversation. It was one phrase, and it brought Nathaniel to his knees. I don't know what it is about Jesus. And we can't just re- we can't replicate like we get on the stage and we're like, how can we act like Jesus today? Like, how do we do this? Look, all we can do at, he- at Taft Avenue, all the worship team can do, all that I can do, all the tech team can do, all we can say is, come and see. We're gonna make space for you to meet Jesus. And what I know is that if you meet Jesus, Jesus will meet you. I don't know what it is. I don't know where you need Jesus to say, I saw you there. You think back on a time in your life where you were at the lowest? Look, I would imagine that Jesus would say, hey, I saw you there. I saw you. I know you. Follow me. What are you looking for? Come and see. that's the voice of Jesus. And John says, if I'm going to tell the if I'm going to tell the story of Jesus, man, I got to talk about the way, I got to talk about the way he encountered people. I got to talk about the way just with a word he's able to go right at the heart of things. At the end, we have this statement of Jesus, and then, you know, and and, and then Jesus is just kind of back to the cynical side of things, like, Nathaniel is, like, cynical, and then he's brought to his knees, and then Jesus is like, well, just because I told you I saw you under the fig tree, you are ready to follow me? (laughs) Like, he's all, you're going to see more important things than these. You think that's important. There are more important things. He actually says, because I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe You will see greater things than these. In 151, he says this kind of enigmatic statement. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And what's Jesus saying there? He's actually alluding back to in Genesis 28 when Jacob is running away from his brother who he's bilked out of his birthright, and he's running, and he finds this place to to stay at night, and what does he do? He grabs a rock for a pillow. I don't even know why he does this, but he grabs a rock for a pillow, and he has this dream that night. And if you guys have been around church any time, you know this dream is about he sees Jacob's ladder, or if you're a Led Zeppelin fan, the stairway to heaven, right? Where he sees, sorry for bringing up Led Zeppelin, Um, those of you, anyway, they're a band. Okay, Anyway. But he sees, he sees angels coming and going. He sees angels coming and going. And when Jacob sees this, he wakes up the next morning, he's like, surely the Lord is in this place. And his, his, what he understands is that the place where angels come and go, because angels are from where? Heaven. And he lives on. Earth, right? And so, if if people are going to come, or if angels are going to come from heaven to earth, they have to find the gateway, the place where heaven and earth meet. And this was the idea that holy places, holy places, especially on the top of hills, would be the places where heaven and earth meet. And it was understood that holy places, particularly like places like the temple, or like the place where Jacob experiences this at Bethel, the house of God, where the ark is, that these are the places, these are the gateways of how from, if you want to go, if, if God wants to send an angel down, he's got to go through the gateway to earth, and that's in a holy place. And if you want to go and you want to encounter God, you've got to go through the gateway, you've got to go to the holy place. And what Jesus is saying is, look, you will see angels ascending and descending at the temple. You will see angels ascending and descending through the Ark of the Covenant? No. You will see angels ascending and descending on me, on the Son of Man. In other words, if you want to have access to heaven, it's not matter where you do it. You don't need the Ark of the Covenant. You don't need this. What you need is me. And Jesus has a special place to be able to say, No one comes to the Father except through me. It's through I am the gateway, I am the gate, I am the door. And having an encounter with Jesus and his disciples understanding that they have an encounter with Jesus, they come to Jesus and they will eventually one day, and John will remember this and he'll write this down, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And we understand that Jesus will meet us, even as the gatekeeper, that Jesus, and being the gate, that he is, he is putting out a call. come and see. What are you looking for? I saw you in that spot. Why don't we pray? Let's pray. Father, we want to just take a moment and just acknowledge a place where we need Jesus to see us, And even now, maybe a place, even right now that there's a place where you're like, I need Jesus to see me here. I feel stuck. I feel like I'm not in a place I need to be. Would you just ask Jesus, Jesus, would you meet me? Would you meet me here? I think also just in this moment where we take a minute just to take seriously Jesus' question, what are you looking for? And just to come to him in all good faith and say, Jesus, this is what I'm looking for. Jesus, thank you that you, you don't turn us away, you engage us You say, come and see. Jesus, we want to know you better. Oh, we want to know you better. What must you have been like? And as we go into our weeks, we acknowledge, Jesus, you are with us, and we want to see more of you. And we pray all of these things in your name, Jesus.